Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I'm so excited. I found I was doing a bit of research found one of uh, one of the coolest studies I have seen in a while and frantically emailed my guest today. Alan Cohn is joining me. Alan, would you mind introducing yourself and, and telling the listeners uh, what you do? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be on your podcast. Um, so I'm Alan Cohn. I'm an assistant professor at the School of Information at the University of Michigan. And I'm a, I consider myself a behavioral economist. So I'm an economist by training, um, but my research crosses uh, traditional disciplinary boundaries. And so a lot of my work is influenced by psychology, political science and, and related fields. Um, amazing. Love, love, uh, uh behavioral economists. Uh, it was, I, I think my fifth episode of the show back six years ago or whatever. I had Dan Ariely on. And oh, yeah. It was very exciting for me as a new, as a new podcaster and everything. He's so. a great speaker, great entertainer <laughs> and fantastic researcher. Yeah. So we yeah. actually, we're, we're doing a uh, related work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've met him before. Very cool. So uh, <laughs> I know that that the study we're going to just start with, and you can you can set this up in any way that you like. You you can give the listeners your kind of full background and some of the work that you did leading up to this or whatever. We're going to be talking about your work just more broadly. Um, but uh, I I also and I want to acknowledge that you're probably sick of talking about this damn study <laughs> because it was it was uh so popular that that uh you must have found yourself talking with a with a zillion different uh different people about it but I'll be a zillion and one so uh so this wallet study you you went around um uh you went ar around uh, uh, losing a bunch of wallets on purpose to see if people would turn them in or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so everything started. Um, actually, if, if I may go back a little bit. Of um, course. It, st it started uh, because people always uh, ask me, okay, how did you come up with this? And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> when, they, when, when they talk to a scientist, um, they, they think that there's some elaborate uh, thinking behind it. And actually, it was, it was also a little bit just um, coincidence. And so... Um, we did some consulting work in Abu Dhabi for the Crown Prince um, uh, Court. And um, so one of the games that we, we used for our um, consulting work was a simple coin flip game. So we asked people to flip a coin and then to report the outcomes of their coin flips. And so we told them if the coin lands heads, then you earn some money. And if it lands tails, then you don't earn anything. And uh, because people were unobserved while performing uh, this task, uh, no one knows whether people cheated or not. But obviously, they had a financial incentive to cheat. So everyone could say, well, I, I was just lucky and I flipped hats. And um, mm. so why we, 
it's impossible to basically say if someone cheated or not. Um, you can find out uh, if you look at the at the aggregate level, because you know that if everyone would be honest, then uh, fifty percent of the people should report heads, fifty <laughs> yeah. percent tails. Yeah, and that was a very simple game, but um, but the useful measure. Um, of honest behavior. And we found that it, it is quite portable across cultures or, or countries. And so that basically initiated a, a whole program stu to study people's honesty. Hmm. Now, uh, you might wonder why, why an economist is interesting, interested in, in studying honesty. <laughs> and so, so, well, I think it's just generally interesting, but more importantly, it, Honesty affects us in, in basically all aspects of our lives. So if you think about your, your partner, to be honest um, uh, with your partner or being honest with your customers or being honest when paying your taxes. So um, our society depends a lot on people's honesty and especially like that they're voluntarily honest in, in, in many situations because it's impossible to always be have a police uh, officer behind your back uh, monitoring what you're doing. And, and so at the time, um, th there was very little research uh, or sy yeah, systematic uh, research on honesty in an everyday situation. And mm -hmm. uh, so most of, of the studies um, use this kind of paradigm that I described um, to measure people's honesty in a very contrived setting and usually also with student populations. And, and and since we're still speaking about contrived settings, can you give us what was the results of the coin flip study? Well, yeah. So so this is this relates uh, really to Dan Ariel's work that you yeah. mentioned because he has used this task too, or, or variants of this task. Yeah, he, typically, his his book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, kind of has has a number of uh, similar uh, studies and stuff that that he talks about in it. Yeah, exactly. I, I actually highly recommend that book. And uh, there is also, I think, a movie um, out there. Um, yeah, so so basically, uh, people cheat, but just a little bit um, on average. Of course, you have some people who might cheat more, others who cheat less. But I think what's su surprising, at least uh, to many people uh, uh, who have been studying honesty, is um, that people are, tend to be more honest than we, we think. So, so there is a little bit of cheating, but not to the full extent. So not everyone reports the outcome that would maximize the monetary payoff. So, 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 so no one, like you would maybe think that in a lab setting like this, uh, you know, I go in there, what's the harm in me just being like, yeah, I, I, I flipped 10 out of 10 heads, pay me, whatever. Why, why not do that from a, uh, from like kind of a just classic economic standpoint? Exactly. Like Homo economicus, what he would do is, is just to always report a successful outcome because there is no negative consequence for, for doing so. Um, and, and you can earn more money. But there are many psychological factors that kind of hinder us to 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 um, cheat to the full extent, and so that's very interesting, um, uh, very interesting behavioral aspect to study. So why do people behave more honestly than than we tend to think? And um, 
yeah, so if you, if you come as a student in the, in the laboratory and you sit in front of, of a PC and then you're being asked to, let's say, flip coin 10 times. So what are some of the factors that, that make you report honestly rather than just going back home with a lot more cash in your pocket? Mm. And so, yeah, so basically there wasn't a lot of um, evidence of what we call from the field, so from natural situations where uh, people are typically not observed, so they, uh, they don't know that they're part of a study. And so you can imagine that uh, thinking about stu studying honesty, that people have a desire to, to, lo to look favorable towards maybe the, the researcher or to meet expectations uh, um, of society or all sorts of reasons um, uh, to behave differently than they normally would. Mm. And so our goal was to design an experiment that kind of captures people's um, honesty in a setting uh, where, uh, where they would encounter in, in, a daily, in their daily lives. Mm -hmm. Now, we, we were not the first who kind of used this paradigm. So, for example, Reader's Digest, uh, this kind of famous magazine, already employed a similar uh, paradigm. But we did some tweaks um, and so made, made some changes to improve the design and, and, and just conducted a, a study at a much larger scale than, than anyone has before. So, for example, one big difference to the classic paradigm that dates back to, to Milgram in the 60s is that we didn't just drop wallets on the street and wait until passersby will pick them up. The problem with that is you don't have control over who participates in the experiment. So it might be particularly honest people who see a wallet and then they pick it up and return it, or it might be exactly the opposite. It might be those who, who seek to enrich themselves um, who pick it up and then you, you, you draw basically wrong conclusions about the general level of honesty in society. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so we, we basically started with a pilot study in Finland um, because we had a student who wrote a, a bachelor thesis um, with my colleague, Michel Marshall and, and me. And so he did a, an exchange semester in Finland and we told him, yeah, why, why don't you um, turn in some wallets? So, so that's what we did is basically instead of dropping them on the ground somewhere, we went inside establishments like banks or hotels or uh, police stations, I just went <laughs> by, said, well, uh, I just found this outside around the corner. I have to catch the train. Can you please take care of it? And then basically left. Yeah. yeah. So we clearly assigned the, the task to, to, to someone working in a particular institution. Very clever. And and, 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 and yeah. I imagine too when you, so when you started out with uh, in in Finland it was probably easier to start out and get funding for you know just a small area first before you went about asking for I, I'm going to need <laughs> seventeen thousand wallets and a lot of small bills or, or something. Yes, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was an expensive study for in, in my field, so behavioral science. Um, I would always argue that it's it compared to other fields like physics or, or uh, maybe I don't know, like astronomy or so. They have to buy very expensive equipment. 
Yeah. And so compared to, to the, those researchers, uh, <laughs> this is just a drop uh, in the bucket. But uh, Ast yeah, Astronomy for is more expensive than intentionally trying to lose money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in our case, uh, we gave back to society. So actually people were, were allowed to keep the money in the wallet because it, in the end, uh, as economists, we, we calculate that what, what's, what's cheaper? Is it to go back and pick up the wallets or just to tell people, you know what, I, I left town. Uh, it's not that important to me anymore. Uh, just keep the money and donate to donate it to charity if you want to. And that's what we did in, in many countries. Um, wow. and so the money went back to society. But yeah, so going back to your question, funding was actually quite challenging. <laughs> well, the now, reason now, was, I'm yeah. now I'm worried <laughs> someone's going to find a wallet on the street and be like, ooh, new stimulus package that, they, that they're rolling out yeah. during COVID. <laughs> I guess this is mine now. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so go on. Yeah, so I know I, I was just talking about the funding of the study. Yeah. Um, so we did the pilot, which is normal. Um, you you would first want to test the design of your study. Uh, and then we I actually, we also did some refinements to the design and improved, um, improved it. Um, but we didn't really think that far ahead about um, the, the funding because we also didn't really plan to conduct the study worldwide. At the beginning, it was like a few countries and then it was, okay, let's do like, 18 countries in Europe, and then just it, it blew up. Um, yeah, this but, is this amazing. You end up with this amazing graph of the this uh, this this easy to understand kind of cross cultural analysis of of seeing country by country who who was the most honest in this situation. Yeah, uh, but that was not our, our original plan. So it just kind of evolved, and in the end, we saw that. Uh, we thought that it's important to get like a, a more global picture of honesty and not just like, like we, we also wanted to provide a data set for other researchers that they can use because so far um, researchers have relied mostly on survey based measures of honesty and other aspects of morality. And as I mentioned before, they're always prone to what we call demand effects or social desirability effects. So, so you give an answer that you think the other person likes to hear. Um, and um, yeah, so, and the reason like, so we didn't think about funding too much uh, because of, because we started small, um, but also <laughs> fun, like interestingly, is, it was actually quite hard to uh, get enough funding for this study because a lot of uh, institutions thought we, we can't pull that off. So they thought like, this is a, this is a huge project. And uh, I mean, it felt a little bit like <laughs> having a, your own startup company, not, not, not really knowing what you're doing. And then you have to kind of assemble a team and write <laughs> protocols and so on. This so, is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Just to go around losing 17,000 wallets worldwide. Like yeah. what's the distribution going to look like on this? How do you, this is this massive coordinate what was more expensive the the wallets and the money in them losing or the or the team of, of people and um, and the number of hours that's a good question um so we so i think it, it was mostly the money and the equipment we actually oh, yeah. we we kind of assembled a team of 13 research assistants 
and they were all students not like, this is not, like the opposite of oceans 13 here yeah <laughs> it's like a robin hood yeah, version that's, yeah that's uh, that's uh, not, yeah, i've never heard that one before that's a good one exactly um they were super motivated uh, i mean it was a lot of fun for them so they did it as part of their bachelor master thesis so we didn't have to pay them um, but for, for, I mean, for them, it was a great opportunity just to, to travel across the globe and to, to experience research, uh, firsthand. And, um, and they, they, it's for them, it was particularly exciting because they went to places that normally they wouldn't. So we sent them to countries that are probably not, uh, on top of your list of, uh, destinations that you would visit. And also within certain countries that you might be familiar with, we sent them to, to, to cities or, or regions where normally as a tourist, you, you probably wouldn't go. And th there was a really positive group dynamic uh, um, developing and they really had fun, a lot of fun together because in some countries, we also did some overlaps so that we can measure what's the impact of the researcher, like the, the experimenter, what's the impact uh, truly of our of uh, um, our stimuli. Um, is there a beautiful woman turning it in or yeah, is there so an old man that. turning it in? Or? Yeah, turns out that uh, it doesn't matter that much. I guess this is partly also because the interaction was very short. So we basically sent them inside a building and a, a minute later they came out. Um, but we, uh, like from a scientific perspective, you want to know whether your results are driven by the experimenter, by the research assistant, or uh, by the factors that you're actually interested in. And you're also in this kind of testing the honesty of unpaid researchers, too, in a way. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a question I've, I've heard before. Like, why do, uh, <laughs> how do you know that they didn't just pocket the money? Um, well, we... we uh, we employed uh, Swiss uh, students, and uh, if you remember, Switzerland is at the top uh, of the ranking, so they're, they're <laughs> very, very reliable. Now, and we also did some checks, but obviously, we, you can never be 100% uh, sure, um, uh, but I, I don't have any, any reservations. Um, the, the students were just fantastic. They had a blast together, and they did excellent work, and it, it was tough because imagine, like, as a student, your job was, I mean, first to plan the whole trip in advance, you know, like just uh, if you go to a country, you have like 500 locations that you need to visit within maybe a week, 10 days, or maybe two weeks. I don't know. Um, you have to carefully plan uh, every <laughs> trip, uh, every single day, where to go, which places uh, to go, think about uh, customs, border regulations, just wow. a lot of lot of things and then <laughs> and then it's basically walking around all day long you know and taking bus tram taxi going just from one place to the next turning wallets i mean they were completely exhausted afterwards <laughs> <laughs> i never even considered all of these yep. variables <laughs> How how incredibly hard it is to go and lose seventeen thousand dollars. Yeah, and sometimes they had big a, sums of money of in, in in their backpack. Yeah, so I remember, like, I took a picture when they came to the U.S. Uh, I was back then; I was still in Chicago, and I think uh, they they went to the bank and grabbed like thirty five thousand dollars or so, and we put it on the table. And because we needed uh, small change, like. Uh, 
single dollars or like even <laughs> we even uh, included some coins just to because of of the the sound that coins make in a wallet so that people know okay there is some money inside so everything was predetermined exactly three coins in each wallet you know regardless which country and so we put it on the table and it looked like in a, in a mafia movie you know where i was uh, kind of like uh, <laughs> selling drugs or whatever like i took a picture because i've never had so much cash in front of me and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and these wallets are these are you running them through a a, a a uh, rock tumbler ahead of time or sticking them in a dryer filled with the, uh, roughing them up a little bit or are you just turning in these brand spanking new <laughs> yeah that's a good question um so we actually we decided against using this uh very like traditional wallets like you can think like a, a leather briefcase or something like that mm -hmm. because we were worried that some people would be reluctant to look what's inside so maybe for privacy reasons whatever uh you you wouldn't like open it and, and search uh, and search through someone else's content so what we actually did is to use um transparent uh, business card cases um mm -hmm. And and but basically use it as a wallet. And and I, I mean, some people would argue, well, this is not supernatural. I would say, well, I have used these kind of wallets myself because as a guy, you you you, you just want to put it in your pocket, and this is like the smallest thing that you can put in your pocket that fits also like business cards, credit cards, and 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 cash. And the other reason for having this kind of transparent business card um, uh, cases was because we had certain conditions where there wasn't any money inside, but all the other stuff like grocery list or uh, key um, and, um, uh, and some other stuff. Um, so that people wouldn't expect that, oh, there's a wallet here, but there's no money. So I guess the person who handed in the wallet actually uh, took out the money and just, um, just uh, turned in the wallet without the money. And so we, we didn't want to create these expectations that, oh, I have a wallet, but there is missing money inside. So the person who actually turned it in probably uh, took it for himself. Mm. Hmm. So, uh, so what did we find out? Where, where's the, where's the most honest countries? You already said Sweden, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Switzerland. Um, or Switzerland. Yeah. So, so the focus of our study was actually not, uh, uh, really to to, fo uh, to determine which country was most honest and which country was least honest, um, but rather how people respond to the financial incentive to steal. Mm. Um, so our main manipulation in the experiment was simply how much money there is in the wallet. And so as economists, we thought, well, the more money in the wallet, the less likely people are to return it. When we ask uh, experts, they said the same thing. When we ask lay people, they said the same thing. So everyone kind of expected that people would be less honest if there was a higher temptation to be dishonest. And what we found it was, was the exact opposite. And it all started in Finland, where, in the, where we did this pilot study, where we already observed this phenomenon. And we thought, well, that's kind of odd. <laughs> so. Uh, so we, we then moved on, went to the UK and Poland and Germany, just to have like uh, a few other countries that differed quite dramatically in their 
cultural context and also uh, corruption and wealth of, of their citizens. And everywhere we went, basically, we found, found these results. So in the end, out of the 40 countries, we found this effect um, to be robust in, in, uh, to, to emerge in 38 out of these 40 countries. And not in these uh, two other countries, I don't remember now exactly which, which uh, ones uh, these were, but um, there the, the decrease was basically zero, very small and not statistically significant. So we found some global phenomenon that was kind of tough to explain, but this is exactly what science is about. It's boring when you kind of just confirm your priors. Uh, it's much more right. fascinating when you're surprised by the result and then you need to explain why this is the case so so maybe if if it's if if there's more well maybe first off what what kind of money are we talking about like in in u.s current is was every country kind of like uh based on uh scaled to their exactly uh, yeah we 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 adjusted the the cash amounts using um what we call a purchasing based on purchasing power parity so uh to, for lay people, uh, think about the, how much a Big Mac costs in the U.S. compared to, let's say, Switzerland. And so basically, we adjusted the monetary amounts according to that. Um, and so we had uh, three main conditions, one with no money, but all the other things like a key and, and grocery list and business cards and so on. Then we had a small cash condition with about uh, 14, $13, 14 dollars. And then we have a high stakes condition with almost a hundred dollars. So because we really wanted to know, so I mean, a hundred dollars is really tempting. No one, no one observes you. Like you could easily hide what you're doing. No one expects you maybe to, to, to return it. And um, so we really wanted to tempt people to keep the, keep the cash and not return the wallet. And just, just for to clarify, what else was in? So there was three coins, and then there was. Was there keys? Yeah, so so the idea of the key, um, so it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, twofold. So one is um, we just wanted to to, to make the, the, the wallets valuable also in the condition where there wasn't any money. So if you think about the wallet that doesn't have money, we, we couldn't, like, we didn't employ credit cards or other things uh, like a driver's license. Because I mean, first of all, like, uh, how how do you get driver's licenses for all these countries? Uh, in a, in a, and second of all, like, you don't want to. <laughs> if fake, anyone could have pulled you know? it off, it would have been you. <laughs> so you you you, you don't want to get into legal troubles faking driver's licenses across the globe. Um, um, so so we needed something that is kind of like that signals, hey, there there's some value for the own uh, to the old. Yeah, and, yeah. And so so someone, keys, someone's yeah. not getting in their house today if they don't get this Yeah, and you're worried back. that someone right. might, I don't know, maybe break in with um, right. uh, using, using the key and so on. And the other thing that we did with the keys, it actually provided us uh, uh, with nice manipulation because what we could do is just remove the key and see what happens. And that allowed us to actually to isolate the particular psychological motivation, namely altruism, because... Mm -hmm. The key, it, it's, it's basically for the person who finds the wallet or, or brings it back um, or like turns it in, um, the key is basically useless. If you, if you don't know what the key is good for or is used for, 
I mean, what, what do you want to do with it? But you know that it creates harm to the person who owns the wallet because they, they're going to search for the key. They're going to be worried that someone's going to enter their home and so on. So this is a situation where you don't have a personal financial incentive or temptation to take it, but you know that if you don't do the right thing, then it's gonna, you're going to harm someone else. And that allowed us to isolate the pure effect of altruism on the likelihood of returning a lost wallet. Mm. Um, so, so the other things that we had in there were uh, business cards. So this was the purpose of the business cards was to signal uh, that who the owner is. So we had right. like a description and an email uh, address and so on. And then we had the grocery list. The grocery list was intended to signal that the, the person is likely uh, some local, uh, some local guy uh, who lost his wallet. So we didn't want to have people thinking, well, maybe it's a tourist, you know, and uh, it's going to be cumbersome to return the wallet. Uh, yeah. So, so you're so you're you're losing it in Wisconsin. So you're putting like cheese curds on the list and, and <laughs> yep. brats and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. No, that is, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And we had to come up and, and the tricky thing is, uh, this is when you... <laughs> so much more involved than I would have ever imagined. This is amazing. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing is you have to think about every little detail because what yeah. you want to do is, is you want to keep it comparable across countries. So yeah. you need to, f to find products that are kind of common in, in, in most countries. Now, th there is, of course, there's variation <laughs> across countries. So we switch, for example, from pasta to rice, but we kept it as similar as possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, yeah. Were there ever arguments of, of, of like, oh, you can't compare that to a brat? A hot dog's not like a br <laughs> <laughs> people getting very defensive um, about. No, actually, the our most critical reviewers they 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 were okay with the grocery list. That they had other concerns, um, I guess. Um, so, for example, uh, one issue that that uh, people raised, and I think it's a fair point, is that we uh, we basically signaled that if you want to contact the owner, you should send an email. And obviously not people, people vary in the degree they use emails across countries. And I that see. might, have, that might affect, uh, the, the rates that we observe. If we, if we compare the levels of, uh, uh, the, re the return rates across countries, then this might affect it. But I, I mean, see. we did some robustness check and, and didn't find that much evidence. And it's also partly the reason why we went to different type of of establishments or institutions because let's say in a hotel or so email is much more common than maybe in a postal office or so so there were certain aspects of the design that that have been criticized um and sometimes for for good reasons um and and yeah but it's always a trade-off if you you can never keep everything completely identical across countries but you want to keep it as similar as possible in order to make it comparable yeah huh um yeah and so well the other thing too is you're also so i've lost two wallets in my life mm -hmm. the first one it was both both times i was drunk um <laughs> the first one i was like 
God, I was like 20 or something like that or 21. And I was just blackout drunk. And I didn't find out until uh, like I I ended up I went to the wrong house at one point and tried to get in and could I was just completely blitzed. And um, and that wallet was apparently dropped in a yard because it was picked up by a postal worker Mm -hmm. like months later. Oh, and okay. and returned to me. The second wallet I lost was in a bar in Milwaukee, um, like six years ago or something like that. And that was not returned to oh, me. Sorry and, to hear. <laughs> and well, so so in that small sample size, I still think that there is there is that I would I would make a prediction that how um how likely a wallet is to get returned to you is how much alcohol consumption there is involved in the would-be returners <laughs> because someone at a bar with a little bit of a buzz is going to have a little looser moral standards or and even even take morality out of it maybe maybe lacking the motivation to attend to uh, you know, good good citizenship. Uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> I was just trying to think. Of, as a research, you always uh, look for evidence. I'm not sure if the if someone has tested the impact, the causal impact of alcohol <laughs> on, on people's honesty. But but um, you, I think you're right. Like um, uh, at least there is some research that shows that you need some some self control to be to be honest. And so. The, the more you drink, the less self-control you have. And so you're, you're basically succumbing to your, to your uh, and material self-interest more easily, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. you're better, better off losing the wallet at like, say, a movie theater than inside yep. of a bar. If, if, I you, can, had to if guess. you can choose where to if lose you can it. Choose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but I th- I, again, like I think, uh, I mean, you were maybe a little bit unlucky, but I think uh, wallets are returned at a much higher frequency than we tend to think. Yeah. So, so the brilliant thing about the keys, because because when you were saying the the money difference, uh, I and I imagine, um, I imagine many listeners were probably coming to the same conclusion that like, oh, thirteen dollars, like. Yeah, it'd be nice to get this back to someone, but I'm busy today. I'm in the middle of a, a bunch of things. A hundred dollars. Well, now this is really, uh, y- you know, that that's I wouldn't want to lose a hundred dollars myself, and and this and that. But the keys, that's that's in many cases more valuable to the average person than a hundred dollars yes. is. That's exactly the reason for for having the key to kind right. of make it always uh, valuable to the owner. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so so the just to give you like some impression of the, of the return rates on average, it was about forty percent across all countries in the no money condition. Then when you included like fourteen dollars, it was uh, fifty one, and then if you included a hundred, almost a hundred dollars, it, it increased to seventy two percent. So mm. quite quite a bit of of an increase. Now the 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 thing that we learned is that it cannot just be explained by altruism. Now that's something that. I think most people find it intuitive, say, well, we just care about other people. 
and 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 the answer is yes we do to some degree we care about other people but altruism by itself cannot really explain why we see this increase in return rates when we increase the amount of money because if you think about it it's it's always a little bit a trade-off between okay we have let's say a hundred dollars uh should i give it to you or should i keep it so and because people they like they, they like to care about other people but they still like themselves more i would say and it's also what the research shows uh, if you increase the amount of money, you also you're not just increasing the harm to the other person, but you also increase the financial temptation mm-hmm. to keep it. And so, in order to uh, in order to explain this increase with the amount of money in the wallet, you need a second psychological force. And that was basically the the new thing that that the study showed was the psychological force interacts with the incentive to steal. So uh, what this means is that people, it's not just that people care or not about doing the right thing, but that the material benefits of doing the wrong thing, that they interact with this psychological cost of being nasty to someone else. Mm -hmm. And so we call this in the paper theft aversion, um, another way to think about this is just um, self-image. So you like to think of yourself as a good, honest person. Yeah. Now, the more money there is in the wallet, the harder it's going to be to convince yourself you're still being a good person. So you see yeah. like the, the cash involved, the incentive affects, um, affects this, uh, increases this psychological restraint uh, um, so that you're more likely to do the right thing. Yeah, this is so. This is kind of um, you're you're defending your own psyche a little bit in in ways too. You don't you don't want this weighing on you. Was there? I, I'm I'm curious if if you collected any um, secondary data on on the age of of the estimated age of the people that you turned the wallets in with and and found anything there? Because before before you say, but what what I would what I would guess. And also not be surprised to be completely wrong, is that o- older older people would be more likely to return it for a variety of reasons. One, they're more financially secure, and a hundred dollars is the same. But also, there's like the and it's not that like I, I'm casting judgments on on like the morality of a young person so much as like the 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 toll of 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 mistakes that, that burden you through a lifetime build and build with age and i i remember being 14 years old and just being a little turd and like leaving a nickel for a tip or something like that and thinking it was it, it was funny or like I, I i've i skipped out on a bill a couple times when i was like 14 15 and just a little shit and I'll never forgive myself for it. And and I, I I'm I'm a I'm I'm probably such a better tipper than I 
had I never done that, I'd probably be like a 18, 20% tipper today. But because I did that, I, I'm like 20 to 25%. I'm compensating for the rest of my life. I'm compensating <laughs> for that. And if you're older, you know, like, yeah, I might get a hundred dollars now, but then I'm going to feel guilty. And now I'm going to have to be donating to every charity eight times a year because I won't be able to stop thinking about that stupid hundred dollars I stuck in my wallet yeah that's a, that's a good question um so we 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 asked our research assistant to kind of guess people's ages but obviously this is just a very crude proxy um yeah people's actual age and so we ended up kind of um dividing the sample into two groups i think it was like um above and below 50 years of age um and if memory serves now i'm not 100 percent uh, sure i remember this correctly because our paper has so many different uh, analyses in there but i think uh, the older ones were a little bit less likely um to return <laughs> the wallet but but just to, to a small degree now maybe i maybe i'm wrong I, I would have to be sure i would have to check yeah um but i think you, you addressed like an interesting point that is um you were talking about when you were young you, you weren't able to tape maybe then it's bigger temptation now in our study obviously we had uh we didn't have very young people in there because we we targeted employees at, at institutions like right. police stations or banks and so on um but uh financial background matters i'm sure that matters a lot and we also find that um, there's a strong positive correlation between welfare countries and levels of honesty in those countries. So What's the correlation? Clearly, um, it's about 0 0.7 or so. But um, even if we control for... Wait, wait, zero, which way though? More wealth, more honesty, yeah. But we're talking about a country as a whole, not... Yes, not but this like... isn't... Because because some of those things in in the little bits of thing that I've start start to evaporate and say like the 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 one percent is often uh, people people that are well off are often um, bigger cheaters over trivial things um, in situations than than uh, lower income people. I, I've yeah, seen no, some research. That, that's a, that's a good point. So, so we use uh, GDP, so gross domestic product, which is kind of a proxy for the average income um, in a country. And obviously, there, there might there, there's typically a lot of variation in how much money people um, have. But we find this relatively strong correlation between our measure and and uh, the average income in a in a country. Um, now, the, but the, once we account for different levels of wealth in a country, we still see relatively big differences across countries. So while, while there is a strong correlation with uh, a country's wealth, <clears throat> that doesn't really explain why we see these huge differences um, across countries. Mm -hmm. Now, it's also, a it's also difficult to know um, uh, how whether wealth actually impacts honesty or whether it's the other way around. So it could be that uh, if you're more wealthy, then you're, you're not like, you're not going to starve if you, uh, if you return the wallet. Um, on the other hand, it's also in countries, um, it's, it's um, honesty 
also promotes wealth because if people are honest, then society just functions better. Um, you, it's, uh, if you think, let's say about eBay, you buy something on eBay. If you know that the, uh, the seller is honest, you're more likely to buy and so on. So the markets- In many conditions, being, being honest and being authentic have, have a social value attached exactly. to them and, and consumer confidence and trust and so on. Exactly. And so, so basically what I believe now, it's hard to prove, but what I believe is that causality runs both ways. So mm-hmm. honesty leads to more wealth, but also wealth leads um, to more honesty. Now in our paper, we looked at historical variables um, because they're unlikely to be affected by uh, current levels of honesty. So we, we use kind of uh, proxies, historical proxies for wealth and you, you might laugh now about what I'm gonna say, but we use kind of like geographic factors like um, latitude or um, temperature and weather conditions and so on, because that actually matters matter quite a bit if you go back in time, matter quite a bit for how society or like um, smaller groups were organized and could engage in trade and so on. So we use this we use these historical variables instead of contemporary levels of GDP and and to 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 measure its impact on on our our measure of honesty. Oh, that yeah. Could you go into that just a little bit? Because I I for as you say that something that springs to mind is like cultures of honor um, that evolve these kind of sheep herders in various regions of, of Europe that had, uh, because you're herding sheep, there's these conditions where you're a little more vulnerable to having, uh, ha- having um, cattle or whatever stolen from you. Because of this, there's, there, those people tend to be more if I'm remembering right, like reactive to being wrong or whatever. And, and interestingly enough, those people tended to migrate to the South of the, of the United States and are are probably uh, that, that might be like kind of a holdover of what's created Southern pride is this, this holdover from, uh, from migrating from these, these herding cultures. So is, is that, is that the sort of thing that you're, Talking no, absolutely, about exactly. Um, I, I mean, this is still very speculative because mm-hmm. we, we obviously we can't manipulate those things and there's no causation without manipulation. So we always have to take these results with a grain of salt. Um, but we looked at certain conditions because uh, so we you have if you think about honesty, there are kind of two um, uh, two two aspects to it. So first of all, it's just how honest people, how much they, they care about honesty, but it's also how they apply honesty towards other people. So is it that they are honest towards uh, their, their closer social circle, like family and friends, or are they honest towards strangers? And what we studied in our, uh, um, uh, in our paper is, um, is, is this form of honesty towards strangers, which is so important for uh, advanced uh, societies. So you're not just interacting with your uh, friends and family members, but you 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 engage in 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 economic exchange with with strangers, people you have never seen before, 
sometimes you will never see them again. And the question is, do you trust they're honest and are they going to be honest towards you? Um, and so uh, we tied, um, so we tied our results back to kind of indicators how society was organized, let's say 2000 years ago, more. Um, and so in these small groups, whether they were kind of forced because of, let's say, weather conditions or so to interact with other villages more so mm-hmm. um, than or just with, with the people in their own village. And so uh, both kind of societies, small case scale societies m- might care similarly about honesty, but one group might be just honest towards their in-group members and the other might be honest also towards our group members right. and so what we find is is that a, a lot of these variables that kind of um uh, are correlated with societies that had to be open to strangers that had to kind of had this experience of kind of dealing with people that they don't know that they are today show higher levels of this uh of civic honesty interesting that is that that makes me think about a lot of consequences in a lot of domains in terms of small town um people being tighter knit but maybe not not uh not trusting kind of things on a national level and and uh thinking all the news is fake and that sort of thing just just to give you one one example we look at the pathogen prevalence so so um, kind of the sickness that was uh, present. And so, so those smaller groups that were plagued by certain illnesses, they were much more um, worried about strangers coming into their, into their uh, society. Because their and immune system the compromised yes, and, exactly. and their, which, which prime, primes their psychological outgroup bias to be averse to potentially new pathogens coming in. Yes, exactly. And so, mm. so we, we find that still like today, we see differences across countries that varied in, in the extent to which they, they were um, exposed to pathogens. Yeah. Wow. Holy crap. <laughs> you really, <laughs> this is, uh, Not a fruit you, of four, four, eh? <laughs> it's so fantastic. You know, I, cause it's not like I, I didn't dig into your research that, that much you know I, I read i i read the paper uh or or at least skimmed it I, I forget it's been a few weeks now and 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 i saw i saw some article about it and everything too and it and i thought of my own questions and thought of many different variables and wow it just keeps <laughs> on expanding the more that you think about it like a like a wallet that folds open and then folds into another <laughs> compartment and then has a little hidden uh nook in there that's what your study is like a very yeah, absolutely i mean <laughs> very complex wallet if you look at the study the whole i mean the 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 main text is just a few pages but we have a, an appendix that is kind of like oh yeah i didn't read the appendix pages or so and so um there's a lot wow. of things in there and and, well, and now I'm and um, that might be I, a I, hobby of mine one of these <laughs> days is just to read the appendix on that thing so i, I always told my wife I, I i never wanted to write the book but actually uh 
Uh, Too late. I, I I probably already have. Just I, <laughs> I don't call it a book. But, uh, just no one will ever <laughs> read it because you couched it in the appendix of a yeah, paper. Yeah, that's true. But uh, those who are interested, they can still uh, they they can look it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should you should just take the appendix, rewrite it in in. Uh, in in uh, uh, you know slightly accessible terms and and boom you got this you got this book ready to go this is a bestseller this is I, I mean this is a whole you can write I it for me <laughs> first of all I all like I was I when we first emailed I was like I was like uh, uh well I want to talk about your study but we can just talk about it for ten minutes or whatever and move on to your other stuff. And now it's been close to an hour and I'm still just like, wow, I can't get over all of this. So I still have, I still have a few more, uh, questions for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so, cause I want to get in, man, I want to get into your other stuff as well. Um, so, so first of all, what were some of the, what were some of the, um, uh, cross-cultural differences that that you ended so wait now i'm trying to figure out so so you took all of this so if you dig into the appendix you 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 went and found like longitude and latitude climate you went you went back through time you you guys really thought of everything uh but but then you eventually like put together a nice easy to understand like Fun little graph. People love a good graph. I saw this thing. I was like, "This is such, uh, such a beautiful, perfect." Hey, we can look country by country and see who's the most honest by this measure. Um, what What did you find? Yeah, uh, like, so, like what what um, what countries won? Yeah. So. Um... What you would expect um, is like the Scandinavian countries are on top um, and Switzerland. Um, but there were also some surprises, like um, at least to me, um, may, uh, maybe I'm just ignorant, but like countries like uh, Poland was very um, honest. Um, then on the other hand, uh, we found that UK and the US were below average. I mean, they were somewhere in the middle, um, but below average. And at the bottom, you had uh, Kazakhstan, um, I think Chile, and and China. Mm. Okay. Hmm. But like so, I said, like our our focus was was not really on these country differences. Um, this was this was just yeah. supplement. We have to be careful in interpreting right, these, right. these differences across countries. Yeah, and that's the easy thing to latch onto. I imagine most. Uh, I'm not the first one that that wanted to know all about that right like where i i imagine most people want to know where does my country fall on on this list how do we yeah how do we where did you say america was again or the the united states rather well uh, the united states was um somewhere in the middle but below average um okay. i would have expected it to be a little bit higher though yeah hmm. Well, thank very you close for to that. the UK. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had have had many positive experiences since I moved to the US, so maybe I was uh, too optimistic. Yeah, I mean the US is so enormous, and it has so many different cultural things. I mean, I guess China's yeah. incredibly huge as well. 
And there's a um, lot of inequality also in the US, uh, both right. in terms of um, ethnicity, but also in terms of income. And that has been shown to be a bad thing for, for civic capital. Yeah. So, so poverty is something that's going to decrease honesty when it comes to some something like uh, yeah maybe more so the gain. maybe more so the clash between the the divide between rich rich and poor not maybe not even the the apps like the presence of poverty but I see um um it's the, the inequality and right. I think we the U S is is a country that. Um, there's just, um, and then this is something that was very different from uh, that, what I was used to in Switzerland. I think in Switzerland, we also have quite a bit of cultural diversity, um, but uh, we wouldn't see someone on the street begging for money, um, homeless people, um, and just people who struggle financially making meat ends that live just next door, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that um, yeah was kind of revealing to me, and also made me think. I did a lot of research uh, in in recent years on on economic inequality, because I think it's it's really important to to understand what's going on, and also to think about ways how how we can make it better. Yeah, so let's get into that. Uh, and that's if there was any open loops that you needed to uh, wrap up with the wallet study um, uh, that that I'm not thinking of. Let me know. But otherwise, I would I would love to talk about some of your inequality research if we could. Yeah, of course. Um, yes, I, I just uh, finished the paper basically um, looking at people's attitudes towards government redistribution. So. Um, like I mentioned, I think inequality is one of the defining challenges of our times. Um, it's also what uh, President Obama said in 2013. Um, and uh, so we were interested uh, because one of the easiest way to reduce inequality is having the government redistribute from the rich to the poor. Um, and so we were interested in how people think about government redistribution, in particular, how wealthy people think about government redistribution. The reason for focusing on the wealthy is because uh, they typically have more power and influence both in business and politics. And because they have disproportionate influence in society, we, we were just wondering how they differ, whether they differ from the rest of the population, and if so, why? And so what we did is we um, recruited an, an unusually large sample of the top 5% uh, in, in the income wealth distribution in the US and compared their behavior and responses to a representative sample of the bottom 95%. So those were to be top five, you needed to have an income, a yearly income of 250,000 or more, or um, uh, liquid assets, I think it was a million or more. Um, I might be wrong about that number, but somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so the first thing what we did is just simply ask them, uh, what do you think, should we lower or increase taxes for the very rich? Um, also we asked them about their, uh, political preferences. So we asked them, did you vote for, um, 
Donald Trump in the 2016 election. And what we find is that relatively large differences uh, between the, the top 5% and the rest of the population. So the top five, they're less in favor of redistribution and they were also more likely to vote uh, for Trump in the 2016 election. And the difference is, is relatively big, it's 12 percentage points. Um, it's about the same as the gender gap in, in, in voting preferences. And so now the question is, why do we see that difference? And, and one immediate answer is, well, it's just because the rich have to pay for government redistribution. They pay for they pay the higher taxes. They, they, they are basically subsidizing uh, those who are well off. And so obviously they're gonna be against it. Now, when we looked at a little bit uh, more closer at the, the, the rich people and, and divided them between those who were directly affected by, by a change in taxes that we were focusing on and the others, we find very similar attitudes between the two groups. Um, so it didn't look that it matters whether, um, whether you have to pay for it or not. Mm. And so we looked a little bit deeper into people's preferences and beliefs, trying to understand why those two um, uh, social classes differ so much in, in whether they think the government redistribute or not. And one um, um, key primitive that we focused on is um, inequality acceptance. And we measured inequality acceptance with a simple behavioral task. So we basically hired a bunch of workers on Amazon Mechanical Turk, let them work for us. And then we, we gave, I mean, everyone received a certain amount just for participation and they did a real job. And so, and then we, we, we gave one worker, we gave a high amount and the other worker, we didn't give anything. And then we asked our survey respondents to redistribute money from the low to the uh, from the high to the low income worker. So um, they could not redistribute at all, or they could say, well, I want to equalize uh, how much both people earn. We also varied whether it was pure luck that decided who would uh, uh, earn the, the high bonus versus no bonus, um, or whether it's based on performance. So whether uh, it's the high performer who would receive the bonus and the other person not. And then we just asked them to, to to redistribute between these two workers and, and paid out these workers according to their decisions. Now, here's a situation where your own material self-interest doesn't play any role because you make a decision about two other people you don't know. So it really measures your fairness views. Do you think uh, everyone deserves the same thing, even though maybe one worker worked harder on this than the other one? Or do you think, um, it's more fair that everyone receives his fair share depending on how much effort you put in and so on. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that um, the uh, wealthier people are much more ex inequality accepting. They tolerate inequality to a greater extent than the rest of the population. Wait, the, welfare people? Uh, wealthy people. So the oh, rich, wealthy the affluent. People. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. All right. So, so they're just more tolerant of inequality than the rest of the population. Um, and we found that it didn't really matter what the source of inequality is. So whether it was pure luck who earned the, the bonus or whether it was 
based on performance didn't really matter. They were always just more okay with keeping the, distrib the unequal distribution as is than others. And we found that this inequality acceptance, that is a strong predictor of um, attitudes towards government redistribution, and that once you account for differences in these fairness views, that the gap between the rich and the poor, um, or like the rich and the rest of the population, um, reduces quite a bit, like by almost 50%. Um, and so that, that is a significant, like a significant factor that explains why uh, financially better off people are, um, are more okay with uh, having uh, more inequality in society than others. That's amazing. Now, so, so this is getting uh, probably more out of the realm of the testable and more, uh, more speculative, but um, I, I think life, it, it, yeah, the, this organized chaos that we find ourselves in with this never ending, in, uh, yeah, this infinite number of variables that we have to sort out in life and in this complex morality that evolved over uh, hundreds of thousands of years and interacts in this modern world and these different circumstances. It, yeah, life, life is very messy. And one thing that money does is it puts this like really simple to understand like you you can teach uh, uh a chimp some basic currency of like it, it, you know teach it that 10 tokens is better than one token or whatever and is worth this bag of cheetos for this you know it, it, it just kind of simplifies life and then once you've kind of simplified it do you do you think that do you think that money just automatically gets confounded for meritocracy and and people just kind of even when you tell them hey this was a coin flip this was random you just kind of start equating you know higher income with that person must have earned it even when you tell participants otherwise yeah and i think uh, i think this this is right um that uh what surprised us actually is to find that those who were born into wealth, so those who grew up in a very wealthy household, they were actually much more similar to the rest of the population than those who uh, um, earned their wealth by being an entrepreneur or by making smart financial investments. And I think um, what this suggests is kind of like um, uh, you, you, as you move up the social ladder because you're being successful, you kind of think that probably you, you deserve it um, and that it's all because of your hard work and uh, because you were smart and whatever, but not so much how much luck is also involved uh, in, in life. And maybe yeah. it's also just because you're, um, the more you move up the, the social ladder, maybe you're also more exposed to uh, to ruthless people or to, to, to harsher conditions a lot of competition at the top and, and that just makes you more willing to tolerate uh, inequalities than others we don't know this is again like kind of speculative but it was for us it was kind of surprising yeah, if, to if see you're a that wolf difference, on yeah. wall street all you see is yeah. claws and fangs and the world's tough kid get over it grow up exactly exactly yeah. 
So it's not something that necessarily people are, are born with or that they get ingrained at a very, very young age. So we thought like an alternative, like one hypothesis could be, well, rich uh, kids of, from rich people, they just uh, go to school and, and go to private school. They just interact with rich people. They don't know how that people are suffering out there. Uh, but our research actually doesn't really show that that's the case. It's more that the, the experience of being financially successful um, that explains uh, this difference in, in inequality acceptance. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Which makes it hard to, to kind of get rid of, you know, if you think about it. Um, so uh, mm. if, if you make it easier for, for uh, people from, from uh, who start with little income to, to, to become millionaires, so the American dream, then that doesn't necessarily mean that once they're at the top, that they, they kind of create a society that becomes more equal uh, yeah. because they kind of get used to these inequalities that they're, that they're exposed to. You've, you've, uh, you've honed this ruthlessness muscle potentially yeah. too, and, and are, are going to use it. Um, huh? Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, certainly it, it doesn't it doesn't seem to be the case that, um, you know, you look at Warren Buffett or something like that. The, these these people don't don't seem to kick up their feet, you know, and and, and retire and sit in a hammock like War, Warren Buffett's still, uh, uh, you know, reading every possible thing that he can and and spending bringing the exact change through the drive through at McDonald's to buy the cheap meal, depending on how, what his personal worth is on that day determines how good of a meal he gets. <laughs> like all these. So, so that that's, that's maybe just this kind of fine tuning um, that, that you're doing to, to exist in that, in, in that kind of environment. And then once you've, then once you've built those habits, they're hard to... But, but we don't find, and consistent with also other research, we actually don't find that the rich are more selfish. And that's also something I think most uh, listeners would, would think. I mean, that's, that's natural to think, well, you kind of have to be, uh, like you said, like ruthless and, and, and just think about yourself to be successful. Maybe that's not entirely true. And uh, we find in our study, at least, we find that uh, the rich tend to be more pro-social. They donate a bigger fraction of their income and wealth to 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 uh, nonprofits and 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 other good causes. Um, um, and um, and this is consistent with other research, for example, showing that during Second World War, so they were more likely um, to help. Um, uh, people at, at, at risk of being persecuted. And, and so um, we have this, this notion that the rich must mm. be selfish and that might not be necessarily true. Huh. And selfishness is not the same as inequality, except this is really about thinking about fairness, what, how you imagine society, how equal should society be. And um, th these are kind of two different concepts. Yeah, well, because I was going to say at first, um, being intuitively probably a little judgmental, I was, I was probably because I, I was going to say, I mean, the 
once you get away from needs and uh, some of the more basic needs or whatever that means and your life becomes about advertising it, it seems like like in some of the wealthier people that i know or whatever like life becomes about like hosting events and stuff like that and it is like <laughs> i i know people are like oh my god i have to host this other thing and it's just and, and and it's uh you know you you get to put your name on the gymnasium that the school your kid went to or whatever and it's like these new forms of advertising that there's pressure to do but the world war ii thing certainly if you're if you're risking your life to hide hide Jews from the Nazis, that's that's not about you know just flaunting your your wealth. No, absolutely. I mean, I don't remember now every detail of this study. I'm sure they looked at um, if if you if you're more wealthy, you probably have a bigger house or a, a bigger uh, basement where you can hide people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I'm sure they looked at that too. So you have right. more opportunities or um to 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 also help you know um um but for example in our study we just looked at the share of income so not not just like the dollar amount which obviously like rich will will donate more to charity but just really the fraction of of their income or wealth um and so so yeah we see we see more um pro-social behavior on, on their part yeah interesting so if we can end with some um modern day speculation or uh or or um i'm just kind of curious what i always love knowing what uh, you know every, every scientist has kind of created their own little lens through which they see the world for themselves and uh, you know their particular expertise makes them notice things or think about things in a in a different way and um it's been quite a year and there's <laughs> lots of talk about what should be done economically and uh, what are we just gonna like it's absolutely insane for anyone to be going out to bars i can't believe people think that's an okay idea but it's equally insane to just be like yeah we're just gonna let every bar close so do, do we subsidize do we give loans what do we do it seems like this complex and then do you do you um do you help out some business that started in february as much as you help out some business that's been around for 20 years and has been successful up until this time and what is there going to be a task force involved to tease apart all of this and to make sure and you had the initial stimulus thing of and these ppe loans and i know already they're trying to get their money back from from people that took advantage of this. There's people that have been charged for, you know, lying about uh, how many employees they had or, or whatever else. Um, I, I'm just curious, you don't have to talk about any, any of the things I just mentioned or, but, but maybe just things that you've thought, found yourself thinking about or noticing in this that might be different than, than the average person. Well, certainly. Um, I mean, as an economist, I'm almost obliged to, to give answers to those questions, <laughs> although I don't feel really qualified to That's okay. answer those questions. But uh, I, I have some opinions. And um, uh, like you said, um, um, I think uh, so w- maybe more generally, like one thing that really surprised me um, 
is to see uh, how how few people really think about the externalities of our behaviors or our actions onto others. So if you think about the whole discussion about masks and and other um, and 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 other uh, public health measures, um, people always think well about themselves. So okay, um, you know, I want to have freedom. I I, I don't like to wear masks. Um, uh, it's kind of uh, intrusive and so on. And and and, and I think uh, very differently about this. I think uh, about it's not about me, but it's about not spreading it towards other groups, uh, members of society who might be more vulnerable than, than me. And that we as a society, we need uh, to kind of find ways to, to live together and, and be able to cooperate together um, and help each other um, because it's an inter interdependent society. So my actions have consequences for other people in many situations. And I was, I'm just kind of a little bit surprised how difficult or how unaware people are of this or how unwilling they are to kind of incorporate that thought into their thinking process. So that's, that's one thing that kind of, uh, yeah, was, was a bit, uh, uh, and, and even in countries like Switzerland, where I would have expected that, that Switzerland is known like for High, like uh, high levels of social capital where people kind of like, um, yeah, there's a lot of trust in each other. There's a lot of like uh, caring with each other. It's a small country. It's much easier to, to also care about about others. And, but still like people tend to forget that, um, that it affects other, others as well. And, and that's the main reason why we should um, follow certain guidelines. Um, I think that's one, one thing I wanted to mention. I don't know what your opinion is about that, but, um, well, I have too many, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have too many and I'm sure they're all wrong. Uh, I, I mean, I think that one of the biggest, craziest things from someone who's a live tour, uh, touring comedian, who's out of work, who also produces shows is responsible for getting people into a room. I, it, it's been surprising to me how difficult it is to explain to people the, that this is a false dichotomy that we're creating, the, uh, creating such a vast contrast of, of COVID versus the economy as if they aren't intertwined as, yes. as, as, as if, as if it's the regulations keeping every single person from crowding indoors to a comedy show. It, there's plenty of places I could go and legally perform and have people pack in. And even if I didn't value human life enough to do that, I would still have a difficult time marketing to people to yeah. get people to come in. Like, yeah. what aren't people getting about that? And and the idea that it's then, so once you've created that false dichotomy, then it's everything that's associated with COVID and public health is now in your mind the enemy of the economy and something like masks that should have, at the very least... Even if you think COVID's a hoax and uh, uh, masks aren't, aren't, there is no economic argument against masks. <laughs> there, yeah, I mean, I, I just watched uh, 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 recently on Netflix, there was a, a World War II um, documentary now in color. And, and what these people have endured. I just started I mean, watching that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, really. 
Um, and I just think like wearing a mask is just nothing compared to what those people went through. Yeah. And um, we just kind of uh, forgot. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. And I also think it shouldn't be a matter of uh, um, politics, whether what these, those things, um, it's, it's about uh, what experts, uh, scientists um, say, um, and um, it shouldn't and matter it, whether you're Republican or Democrat. Um, for me, that, that has nothing to do with it. And econ um, economists are scientists too. Like that's yeah. what that's listening. <laughs> listening to scientists is also caring about the economy. Yeah. That's what people don't seem to. Uh, I I think that's the really frustrating thing for me is like, I can I can make an economic argument for increasing testing and increasing mask use to get COVID numbers down so that we can all start opening up more and living yes. freer lives and everything else like. And I'm yeah, not I mean, an we, economist, but I, but I I I think I wouldn't have to look too hard to find plenty of economists that would that would agree with that. Yeah, no, I think I think it would have been good to put uh, our economy into a uh, into a coma for for maybe a couple months or so. Yeah, and then but like really shut it down, um, and then at the same time. Um, uh, give subsidies to companies so uh, so that they don't have to lay off people. I think the worst thing was that people were losing their jobs. And also, I think that many companies took advantage of the situation yeah. um, to lay off people and to to to, to change uh, uh, certain structures and then to blame COVID for it. No, I think it's important that to 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 help to help those companies stay in business. Um, to, to, to keep their employees, um, keep, um, um, yeah, uh, keep, keep the workforce. Uh, because I also think like the stimulus package, I don't, I mean, to everyone, I'm, I wasn't like a huge fan of it. Uh, I think um, either people are not going to spend the money or like um, they're going to spend the money in wrong ways or and I saw also lots of people. Yeah. Harvard analysis of the PPE loans saved, uh, were, for every job saved, it was calculated to be around four hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I, I, I want to look at that again. Listeners probably shouldn't be <laughs> quoting that like scripture, but um, uh, I saw I saw some seemed pretty reputable publication kind of looking at how effective those those were, and it seemed like it was just. Uh, the real problem was it was an opportunity to you know a lot of people just fleeced the package yeah i mean the, the, obviously you we, if you have a system in place you, you will have people who who were who are gaming the system um yeah. and uh who are gonna abuse it but i think like also what my research to circle back shows is that uh, more people are more honest than we tend to think yeah. and and i think um shutting down a program because you have have maybe a few people who abuse the system is maybe not not uh, a good argument to do so um i think uh, most people just really need need that support um and i think the easiest way is really to give it to businesses um uh, that they can keep their employees and to those who are not who don't have a job right now um that who struggle financially that they should get financial support i don't think it is necessarily good to 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 give this uh, roughly the same amount to the everyone. Exact same time. Um, 
yeah because some people really do struggle while others i think um not so much yeah i mean it, it does it does seem like you i mean this is this is creating bigger government and more regulation but what are you going to do if you want to like regulate the regulate and you're worried about people taking advantage it, it does it does seem like it, it it does seem like the 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 broad strokes in this situation don't matter. It seems like it, it's more um, cost savings and more efficient to you know have have some some sort of organized system or some task force assigned to actually teasing apart which people are actually actually need money to pay rent this month so they don't yeah so they eat and aren't homeless and aren't forced to go and work their wait staff um, uh, job under, you know, it's, it's one thing for say a comedy club that's trying to open and distance and do everything right. And you're working at say 30% capacity. Well, I, I don't know the ins and outs. I haven't talked to club owners. I've turned down any work that's been, you know, I'm just not interested uh, at, at the moment because I just don't think it'll, uh, in in my mind, I think that I, I, I think of the, you know, Dan Ariely's book of, of the honest truth, uh, truth about dishonesty of everyone just t- uh, cheating a little bit telling themselves little bits of stories and and so these things like collapse over time you start yep. you say like we're going to do 30% capacity and that's not really paying the bills so you're like eh, we'll squeeze in a few chairs and now we're squeezing in a few chairs and now it's like what are we doing here we're just telling yep. ourselves a story to, <laughs> uh, you're, you're 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 putting a thermometer up to people's heads to check their temperature like anyone's coming in with a fever and like that's not catching the asymptomatic spread which is the whole problem of the, like none of that stuff makes that much sense but it allows people to tell themselves a story and once you're once you're able to tell yourself these stories and justify these behaviors and there's these economic incentives that don't need to be there that's that's forced by not getting stimulus it just it falls apart and what are people going to do if they they don't want their business to close they don't want they they want to be able to pay rent they're going to go and they're going to work and you know and be around people in ways they probably shouldn't and yeah i don't know i, I completely i completely agree and also think that as humans we are really good at deceiving ourselves uh, to yeah. <laughs> figure out how a story that that makes us feel good uh, about and uh, about stuff but um, also, I feel bad for people like you who like who kind of like relied uh, their work relies on on the, uh, having an audience or uh, customers who that they interact uh, uh, directly with. Um, and I think these are exactly the people who need financial support. But also, I mean, if you look at yourself, you 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 developed a, a podcast um, and, and did some other stuff. So in times yeah. of crisis, you you get also creative. Absolutely, and I think this is um, like. When I see friends of mine going on vacation and doing this and that, and I just think, well, let's just sit out for a year or two and do something else. Be creative. Like, what a like, terrible time to be on vacation anyway. Yeah, this is yeah. how you're going to spend your money. Everything's closed. And the people that are up, unless your kind of crowd is like 
Myrtle Beach Spring Break, because <laughs> like, that's what's that's what's out there. The people that are the yep. most cavalier about this, that's you know, it it it's an indicator of intelligence, I I would say, or or at least it, it's an it, you know there there's uh, people people that don't care that much about society uh, are are sure having a wild time out there <laughs> right now <laughs> yeah. and, yep. and getting to do whatever they want. But um, I, I think that there's such a difference between say, say even in my occupation, someone, I can understand someone like myself who is a road comic, who is, who doesn't have, uh, their parents to come and stay with to hunker down for a little while and uh, times are tough and is and has the like well what else am I gonna do and I've, you know I've, I've looked into potentially getting a regular job and everything else there's a big difference between that and like those heartbreaking choices that are having to be made and then there's a bunch of like say comedians that are very that are very well off and make more money on their podcast or like TV show or whatever else that they do than they're making in the club anyway and are still going out and encouraging people to go out and attend their shows just so they can get on stage and feel special during a pandemic. And then those people, I'm like, screw you. You have lost (laughs) my respect for life. So... So and then at that point, that's when I'm like, well, then I do kind of M4 mandates in certain locked. If I, if 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 people aren't, if people are displaying that they aren't willing to step up and play ball, and everyone dr- drives on this side of the street when we're going this way, and this other side of the street when you're going that other way, if people aren't naturally sorting that out on their own. These are extreme circumstances, and we're going to need to put a, a, a potentially temporary, uh, you know, social structures in place so that we can all, uh, because we can all go about our lives a little bit more. If I go out and I know that when I when I go someplace, someone's going to be wearing a mask and keeping at least six feet away from me, now. I I can feel a little more comfortable going out and about or going into a real retail a retail <laughs> store, but because I don't know that and I can't trust people <laughs> right now, it, it, it's the the risk is too high and I'm having to think through too many variables for me to go out and do that and and support the economy. And there's actually there's there's research linking this kind of measure that we talked about most of the time in the episode here. Um, so civic capital, civic honesty, and willingness to, to wear masks and to social distance. And you clearly see regions where people have, but there's higher social capital that people are also more likely to, 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 to do those things. Um, so there's clearly, there's clearly a connection. Yeah. Oh man. Well, this was such a terrific conversation. Any anything else that you wanted to mention before I, I don't know if you have like a website that you wanted to plug for people or anything else that you want them to um to yeah, check I out? A... <laughs> or... Yeah, I, I'm on Twitter. Um um I have a website. Uh, you can uh, access my my research uh, for free 
Um, Man, we're gonna. I should start a book <laughs> club to get into that hundred-page uh, appendix that <laughs> that you have. <laughs> that thing sounds like a journey. So, um, yeah. No. Other than that, I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to 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 speak uh, to speak with you and. Um, and just think that uh, this is a great show and, and it uh, was a pleasure to be part of this. And I hope, uh, I wish you a lot of success uh, in the future with this. And uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for if, having me. If, if you have, uh, if you ever write that pop science book that I want you to now, you'll have to come <laughs> back on and plug it. And it, it is, it is the website A-L-A-I and cohn.com or no it's a i'm i'm too cheap like it's uh, kind of like a google a google I'll, website you just make google sure my name. i'll, I'll, it's I'll one put all the, the links two. and everything yeah. in the, the website <laughs> and everything else well thank you very much for joining thanks for me. having me um, and, thanks so much and stay stay safe yeah will do and thank happy, you happy listeners holidays. for being such wonderful curious people we'll see you next week happy holidays to you happy holidays to listeners and stay safe out there.